Good morning, church. This morning, we are continuing on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers have some in the back. Just raise your hand. They would love to get one to you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can take it as long as you promise to read it like you stole it. So make sure to get a Bible. Just raise your hand. Uh, And again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, continuing on. Um, Since last fall, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been walking through this together. And just Just as the Sermon on the Mount can uniquely do, it points out all of our selfishness. I I have been convicted. It shows us that we cannot live live up to God's law. And and there's probably even a moment, I'm I'm assuming all of you have shared this, where I'm reading it and I go, am I even a Christian? Because as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, it just shows you over and over and over again how we cannot come up and we do not compare to God's law. An example was last week where we went through the first part of chapter seven, uh, one through six, where it starts talking about judging, right? And it says, you know, take the plank out of your own eye instead before you go take the speck out of someone else. I don't know about you, but I have a forest of trees in my own eye. My default mode is judgment. And even after the service, um, talking with some of you, one lady came over and said, I don't know how you turn it off. How do I turn off the, how do I turn off judging? And it's only by the grace of God. And the Sermon on the Mount shows us that over and over again that we can't do it. Yet Jesus invites us to continue to walk this journey of life with him. So if you if you've been a believer a long time or a short time, or you're still, you would just have questions this morning. I want this message to just be a grace-filled reminder of what Jesus has done for us this morning. And so look at Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 7 with me. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, coming out of last week's passage about judgment, that is a wonderful invitation. That is a grace-filled invitation. Jesus doesn't point the finger at us and tells us or rebukes us that we need to start working on our own stuff, but he invites us to walk this journey of life with him, to be dependent on him, to seek him, to graciously ask for him, to knock for him, to be persistent in seeking him. This isn't a, a sentencing, but a, a welcome invitation to continue to walk right alongside of him. Now, in the Bible, there are many stories of different journeys that people take. And I think our Christian journey is much like the story of Abraham, where if you know the story of Abraham from Genesis, you know that he was about retirement age and he left everything because he felt God was telling him to go. So he, he left his extended family and packed up his immediate family and all his stuff and took off. And just as you think it's crazy today, it was crazy 4,000 years ago. Because he didn't know where he was going. And one, um, and one Puritan put it this way, that Abraham went out not knowing whither he went, 
but he did know with whom he went. And that is our story because when we go on this journey with Christ, we don't know where we are going, but we do know who we are going with. Amen? And that is our story. That is us. That is the Christian life, the Christian journey alongside Christ. And so this passage this morning, it is answering this question. The question is, what do we need to do to continue journeying alongside Christ? What do we need to do to continue journeying along alongside Christ? How do we keep with Christ through this journey of life? And so the first thing, the first thing that answers, or the first answer is this. New view of self. We need a new view of ourselves. And this new view of self is a one of dependence. We don't like to think of ourselves as dependent, right? We like to be independent. We like to be sufficient. We like to think of ourselves like, you know, we have muscled our way through. We have toughed it out. We can do it on our own. But the very first thing we see in verse 7 is what? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is a position of dependence. And the Christian struggle with sin, um, I like how it's described by Charles Spurgeon. He says, No strength to escape from the deep mud into which we have fallen, or even the strength to keep out of it later. We grieve over what we have done, but also what we can't do. And so we struggle with the mud that we are in, the sin that we continually fall in, but we also struggle that we can't keep ourselves out of it. And that is exactly what the Sermon on the Mount describes. It points out in our lives that, that mud that we have just been drenched in. And so Christ, instead of treating us like we deserve, he invites us to be dependent on him in which we need to come to him and bring him everything, to ask him, to seek him to be knocking on the door for him. I mean, we are not the, the hot stuff that we, we think we are. We, we can't do it on our own. I mean, just as sure as you fling a stone in the air and it's going to come down, we are going to fall back into sin. It is that deeply rooted in our hearts. I mean, if we were ever to overcome the judging or the, the lusting or the hate or the pride that we all struggle with or the power control or, or the desire for, for money, it's only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by Christ. So we need to ask, we need to seek, we need to knock, and it will be given to you. And this isn't just a one-time deal. This isn't just a one-time event. This is something that's going to take long. It's, long. it's a long road, a long, continuous, frustrating process in which we are uprooting that sin that is so deep in our hearts. If your heart is as stubborn as mine, it's going to take a long time to remove it. It's kind of like the story that I heard this week where a company based out of Chicago, it's one of the world's largest magazine fulfillment firms. Basically, they're in charge to get you to re-up your subscription to a magazine, Right? It's like the spam for your mailbox. You just were wanting to help out that one baseball team, that one kid was on your doorstep, and you signed up for one or two subscriptions to a magazine, and then you are forever just always get these things in the mail, trying to get you to re-up to sign up for the National Geographic, right? And so this company, they had um, their, one day their computers went haywire, and one gentleman in Colorado, one day, on one day, received 9,734 separate mailings informing him that his subscription to National Geographic had expired. <laughs> so what did he do? 
this rancher from Colorado, he got his attention. He, he dropped everything he did, was doing. He drove the 10 miles to the post office to, sign, to, to write his check, to send it to the company. And he wrote a note saying this, I give up, send me your magazine. That's the kind of persistence it's going to take for us. 9,734 times, or maybe more. Like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.14, he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is probably, I mean, this is probably the best Christian ever next to Jesus Christ himself, right? Paul he knew the law. He had memorized the Torah. He wrote half of the New Testament. Right? He spent the rest of his life proclaiming the good news. And what he is saying is that he has to press on. He has to persist. He has to persevere towards Christ, towards the prize which he has received in Jesus Christ. He doesn't back up. He presses in. He leans in. And for many of us, this road, it's frustrating. It's like, I've been a Christian for how many years and I'm still dealing with this? It's one of these processes where it's two steps forward, maybe sometimes three steps back to go back two steps. It's constantly, it needs to be on our mind. We need to be persistent at it. Now, an application for this that I think is greatly underutilized, and I can already hear you saying, oh my goodness, he's going to tell me to go do something or, or read more of the Bible. You know what? The, the tool that is in our toolbox as Christians that's greatly underutilized, actually it's the opposite. It's to do nothing. It's to take maybe a few hours or a day and just have some solitude, prayer time. I don't, many Christians I know, they have not spent more than 10 minutes in prayer maybe an hour in prayer? Have you ever spent three hours in prayer? If you have to go back in the archives to ever remember a time you've done that, maybe it's time. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do, to detach, to turn off the phone, find a quiet place, maybe even get babysitters for the kids. And so you won't be interrupted. And if you want to see how we are just completely and utterly dependent on Jesus, spend three hours with him. And you know what? We, we are very disciplined about the things we love. There's here, people here at church I know not to call between 7 and 8 p.m. because they're watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> right? And they can watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune for an hour five times a week. And we can't come to our Lord and Savior an hour in prayer once a month, once a year. Whenever, if you can't remember, then it might be time to do it. And it is greatly underutilized in terms of seeing ourselves in our new perspective, seeing the new self. So, but this journey with Christ, we need to view ourselves in the new self, our dependent self. Second is a new view of God. So we need a new view of self, we need a new view of God, or, or maybe a fresh view or a growing view of God, because before we were in Christ, our, our hearts, they were hostile towards God. They, they didn't want anything to do with him. We didn't even have the ears to listen to him. Like it says in Romans chapter 8, that those that are living in the flesh have their minds set on things of the flesh. They're not even capable of, of listening or hearing things of the Spirit. I mean, you can test this. Uh, many of you probably can think of circumstances or situations where you might be the only Christian in the room. For me, that situation is the gym. 
In, in the gym that I go to, the music that's playing is raunchy, okay? It, they, every profanity that you can think of, the people are not Christians. They don't want to hear about Christ. And so what would happen if I put worship music on one time? I actually have done it. It got very quiet. They wanted it changed. And so they want nothing to do. And I've even brought up, hey, would you, some of them, would you want to come to church? Oh, no, I would burn up if I went into there. And then the, the situation of the conversation changed. You can test it in your, own, in your own lives. We just know it. Those that aren't in Christ are hostile towards things of the Spirit. And we were once there. Before we were in Christ, we were hostile to it too. Because our hearts, we, we, we are selfish to what we want. We, we focus on it, but we have a God who is working on us, who, who wants us. So anyway, before we were in Christ, we were hostile towards him. So look back at verse 9 with me. It says, Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, give good gifts to those who ask? So if you aren't in Christ, you're hostile towards him. Or if you are in Christ, you once were hostile. So you have this heart that is sinful. You know how to give good gifts to those you love. If your children ask for something that they need, they desperately need, you know how to provide for it. If anyone in your life asks for something that you love, you know how to give good gifts. You don't try to harm them. If they ask for food, you don't give them a stone. right? If, you, if they ask for something to eat, you don't give something that will ultimately bring them harm. We know how to give good gifts to each other. What they're saying is God, our new view of God, is we have a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. But in many ways, we kind of think of this as the opposite, don't we? That if we ever get to a place where we relent control, God's going to give horrible gifts to us. The things that we don't want to happen, he's going to send us to some place back in Africa and destroy our current life. You know what I'm talking about? He, he is going to take our life and ruin it, but that is not the God we have. We have a God, who, like it says in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still sinners, he sent his only son, Christ, and Christ died for us. That before we ever saw the need, he was giving the good gift of salvation. He didn't condemn us like he easily could have done, but he paid our price. And he offers us, us grace and, and turns around and then adopts us into his family. So is God sitting up in heaven thinking, whatever will bring the most pain, will inflict the most um, discomfort on them, that's going to bring me the most glory or give, make me feel the best? No, but we can think of that of God. So if our selfish hearts can give good gifts, then what? Think about the amazing good gifts our good and gracious Father can give to us. So God is, like it talks about, he is a loving father that just likes to bestow the riches of good gifts to us. He wa wants and desires an intimate and deep relationship with all of us. He's not like sunscreen where you can just apply and get a benefit from him. I mean, that's, that's called legalism, and, and the Pharisees have tried it. it he, were not, he doesn't want a relationship that's mechanical, where you, if you pull the right levers and push the right buttons in the right order, you're going to be given a certain prize. That's not what he's wanting either. I mean, again, the Pharisees have tried that. They, they tried to do the right things in the right time in the right order to what? To just get the benefit of God, but didn't really know him. 
And so God desires this intimate relationship with us, inviting us in with open arms and says, you know what, I desire to give you good gifts, so ask for them. We constantly, again, need to be reminded of this. So the natural question of that is, well then, what should we be asking for? And he talks about in verse 7 and 8, if you ask, you'll be given. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open for you. Does that mean that God is our personal Saint Nick, you know, wearing the red outfit and maybe a white beard, whatever we ask, if we're good enough, he's going to give us the stuff we need or we want? No, I think we all know that. But does that mean that we can, you know, we can ask to win the lottery? Or if I, if I seek hard enough to get the Rolls Royce that I wanted, then he's going to give it to me. If I knock hard enough on the pretty girl's front door, that she's going to let me in and go out on a date with me. No, that's not what it's saying. But all kidding aside, we might ask that our kids are on the honor roll. right? We, we might seek that promotion. We might knock on the door of our, of our dream house and God, will you please fulfill that? Is, is that the promise that, that God's word is telling us this morning? No. And we know this because of the context. And we can't just take two verses out and apply it where we want. We know that within the Sermon on the Mount, it has just shown us the lowness, the mess of our sin. And what Jesus is saying is to overcome that. You have me already, but to overcome that in this life and be the righteousness of Christ, ask me and I'll give it to you. Seek me and I will help you. Knock on the door constantly, persistently, and I will be there to help you get out as we see you already in the righteousness of Christ. Like it says in 2 Peter 1.3, it says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So an increasing knowledge of God shows us how to operate in this life, leads to more of a better living of life, the life that we were created for. He, and he's not going to give you anything that's bad for you or will intentionally harm you. It might be uncomfortable. You might not like the situation, but you will use it to grow in him. So we need to be asking for anything that increases our knowledge of God and brings us closer to him. Anything that's of salvation, anything that enlarges our heart for him and our life, that will be what's thoroughly good for you. So our view of God is, is new and it is growing and it is as we grow in who God is. One thing I love about this is when we have a new view of ourselves, it is directly related of our view of God. As we see the, the lowliness of who we are and, and the sin that we are in, it just increases the size and the appreciation and the magnificence of, God, of who God is and what he has done for us. So a new view of ourselves leads to a new view of God. And this should give us great comfort. Great comfort because he, is, he doesn't view us through the lens of the lowliness of our sins, but through the lens of who Christ is and his righteousness. And this should get us excited because we're not seen in the process of what we are, but in his perfect nature, in his perfect goodness. He sees us who we are becoming in Christ, not who we currently are. We have a good and gracious father who gives us and bestows upon us great gifts. So ask, seek, and knock for these very things. Now, coming into this, I, something else, kind of an application that's kind of struck me this week. As we grow into who God is and we learn more about him, we need to be praying for those things. 
So many of them like the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to, those need to be our prayer requests. Now, every week in your bulletins, if you open it up on the left side, there are prayer requests that all of you submit, which are good. And we need to be praying for those prayer requests. And it's good to be praying for things like our health and current situations. But if that is everything that we pray for, I, don't, I think we're missing the big picture. I think God sometimes look at what we praise for and he goes, that's it? That's all you're asking for? Because we learn that God, our God, is one that is eternal in nature, not temporal. And if 100% of our prayer requests have to do with my backache or my knee hurts or I'm sick or my grandmother's sick, I mean, it starts to sound like a, a Sunday school in second grade, doesn't it? But if I'm honest, that's most of my prayers is what's right in front of me. And if we're going to be praying more eternal in nature, we need to have eternal consequences in mind. And so in our bulletin, I would love if some weeks, if different people were kind of like Tom Delahook, where he has nine or ten people that he is praying for that he hopes to be able to share the gospel with. Or that we are able to, in our different spheres of, of influence, if at our work, in our family, if our different shared activities, if you have one or two people that you have written down and said, you know what, I'm going to pray for their eternal salvation. Okay, yes, my knee hurts, but I'm going to spend more time praying for them because that has eternal consequences, not temporal consequences. And we need to be asking God for greater things so that when he looks at him, he goes, you know what? Nice, they get it. They, they understand me more. They have grown in who I am and what I have done in my supremacy and that he can make it happen. So we need a new view of ourselves. We have a new view of God as we grow into who he is. And third, we need a new view of others. This bleeds into a new view of others. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, real quick, before we talk about it, that is probably the most hijacked verse in all the Bible. I can't tell you how many presidents or celebrities I have heard use this verse just to further their cause. They strip God out of it and they just take it and they slap it onto anything they want. That, that is not what it's saying. It is not saying just whatever you subjectively want. Me personally, I love to get up early on Saturday mornings. Anyone else? Anyone else? One of you, two? Okay. Does that, I love to get up on Saturday mornings early. That means everyone should love to get up early on Saturday mornings, right? Is that what it's saying? No, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying whatever you subjectively like, that's how you should treat others. Even I, I can already hear someone... Uh, a few weeks ago, you know, I don't like to sugarcoat any, or I don't like anything sugarcoated. What this person is saying is, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. That's how you become a grump. Don't be a grump, okay? But what Jesus is saying is, as we have grown in our understanding of who we are, as we have this new view of ourself, right, the, the lowliness, the, our sin, the, the mess that he has saved us from, and this new view of God, the, the greatness, the graciousness, the righteousness, the, the view, he's saying, treat others as you want to be seen, as you are covered in his righteousness, as we see you in the righteousness of Christ, do unto others as he has done to you, not in their mess, not in their sin, not in the process, but in what has been done, in what Christ has done, how you are covered in his righteousness. And oh, this is hard. This is hard. 
A few years ago in, in our small group, we had this new couple who started attending. They just showed up and said, we want to attend. And it was great. We didn't know if they were Christians or whatever, but they weren't married and they were living together. And after four weeks, the whole group knew it. They were like, what is going on? I had a couple in the group that said, you need to call them out. You need to tell them they need to not stop living together. You need to tell them what the Bible says. And, and this was hard for me because I didn't know even where they stood with the Lord, if Jesus was their Savior or not. And in grappling with this in honor of Wilma um, uh, Palin's passing last week, I, I used to share an office with Lennox Palin, sweet gentleman, the, the sweetest couple. And in grappling with this and wrestling with it, I asked Lennox, hey, Lennox, what would you do? This, is, this seems very sensitive. I would really like um, some, some wisdom here. And what he said is um, to err on too much grace. To err on too much grace. Basically what he is saying is see them in the righteousness of Christ and, and you will have done the right thing. Their sin will be pointed out eventually. You don't have to just come up and legally say, this is what the Bible says, and you're in the wrong. What Jesus is saying is, see them in the righteousness of Christ. And when a church catches this, it's dangerous. When the church catches the golden rule, it is like a wild fire because we start thinking of other people's needs before our own. Um, one I can think of is, is one of our ushers, Stephen Hebert. He's in the 815 service. He's probably here, one of the first people here Okay, so a few weeks ago, I caught him. I was driving out after the services, and he was in the farthest parking spot all the way in the corner. And when I asked him about it, it's because he was trying to save a close spot for someone else who needed to hear the gospel of Christ. When there's people that are, are parking attendants in the parking lot, no, they're not here to get yelled at by people who want a close, closer parking spot. They are here to provide a service so that you can park your cars and come into the sanctuary to worship Jesus. All our greeters, they're not here just because they like shaking hands and giving you a smile. They're here because they want to welcome you in the presence of the body of Christ to praise our Lord and Savior because that's what they want. And that's why we even wear name tags because we want to build a community of believers that knows each other and, and our names are a very important part of that. I can't tell you, I, I've sat out there by the front and when the greeters has asked someone, hey, would you put on a name tag? I've, I'm not making this up. I've heard someone say, I know my name. I don't need a name tag. That's not why we have name tags. We know you know your name. It's for everyone else because we want to be thinking one step ahead. How do we treat others in the righteousness of Christ and help further them, help them to take one more step, one closer step towards Jesus today? And if it's meaning putting on a name tag, I can do that. I can do that. So our journey with Christ includes viewing ourselves through the lens of Jesus, seeing us in our lowliness, but being covered in his righteousness and viewing others likewise. And lastly, we need a new perspective. We need a new perspective. Look at verse 13 with me. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So we read this word picture of Jesus of two gates, the one that is wide and the one that is narrow, and this is his application. This is We have gone over the Sermon on the Mount the last two and a half chapters, and it has pointed out our sin, and now this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we need to apply it. You only have two options. You have the way that is easy, and you have the way that is difficult. The way that is easy 
leads to destruction. Look at the new perspective, which is the end goal. The, the way that is easy leads to destruction. The way that is easy will be popular, but it leads to destruction. The way that is hard, the way that is narrow will be hard, but the way that is narrow will lead to life. I mean, we instinctively understand the value of life. I mean, women don't go through nine months of body-changing hormones and pain and suffering to what? To have new life. We don't go through years of schooling and or work to then put food on the table to provide for a family or for life. We, at great cost, we look for life. And what Jesus is saying is you have one option which leads to life and you have another option that leads to destruction. And so in this journey, walk with me because I will lead you to life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have come here this morning to get into your word, Lord. Help it to pierce our heart. Give us the new perspective of who we are, but more importantly, who we are in Jesus because of our new view of who God is. That you have graciously invited us to be um, your children. And you've given us your son, Jesus, who has cloaked us in his righteousness. Lord, help us to that just to overflow to one another, uh, that we can treat others like we want to be treated in your righteousness. Uh, Lord, give us the view of life, that life is more important, that it's worth fighting for, that um, it doesn't matter that it's going to be lonely at times, that it's going to be difficult at times. But most importantly, that it's going to be with Jesus. We don't know where it's headed, but we know with whom we're walking with. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.